The worms crawl in, the worms crawl out, the worms play pinochle on your snout. They eat your eyes, they eat your nose, they eat the jelly between your toes. It's scary stories to tell in the dark, and this film is lit. Oh, welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. It's a very spooky episode. This comes out the day before Halloween. Yes, it does. So you get to get right into the spirit before you go celebrate Halloween tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Wednesday when it comes out. And we're doing, for this very special spooky Halloween episode, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I'd never seen this movie. I had not seen the movie. Well, it just came out like a few months ago. Um, I read the book, I'm sure, when I was younger, but I remembered nothing about it. Most of us at least gave this a glance, like in our our age generation. It's one of those things you at least flipped through in the library because it was interesting looking. Or like at a book fair. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But I remembered nothing about it and nothing from the movie rung really any bells. So I'll be interested to see how this goes. We have most of our regular segments. Uh, No Lost in Adaptation this week because I didn't really have anything that I thought fit in that category. But we do have Guess Who, which I'm surprised of. I wasn't expecting that because I figured it would mostly be drawings, unless you're going to like hold up drawings and have me guess who they are. (laughs) But apparently we have Guess Who, so we're going to do that with our very first segment and play Guess Who. Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Okay. All right, so we have three mm-hmm. here. I was pretty impressed that we had as many as we did. I was surprised we had any. Yeah. But. Her hair was torn and tangled, and the flesh was dropping off her face so he could see the bones and parts of her teeth. She had no eyeballs, but there was a sort of blue light way back in her eye sockets. She had no nose to her face. All right, so uh, obviously this is uh, one of the monsters right off the bat. Uh, It's not one of the human beings, uh, I would assume. (laughs) Um, uh, The first things that come to mind, uh, it's a female character. Her hair was torn and tangled. Uh, The first one that comes to mind initially, especially because the flesh drooping off her face, so you could see bones and part of her teeth, would be, and I don't remember the name, uh, the character whose toe gets eaten, whose uh, toe is in the stew, and who's looking for her toe who gets Augie or August or whatever mm-hmm. his name is in the movie. Um, the other option would be, uh, uh, there's several actually, it could potentially be, there's the the lady in the room that, that Charlie sees in the beginning who is the mother in the family uh, that we, again, we'll talk about whether or not any of this stuff from the movie is in the books or not or how it relates, but um, just purely character-wise. Uh, assuming maybe that that mother character in the veil is in the... She's just an old lady, so it's probably not her. Uh, but it could be uh, Sarah Bellows, who, again, I'm not even sure or convinced is in the book, but potentially her. Uh, when we see her at the end of the movie, she's kind of, like, decrepit looking. But she doesn't have dark hair. Uh, it doesn't say dark. It just says torn and tangled. Uh, and then the only other one that's, like, potentially a female character, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, is... The uh, the in the red room, the 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 weird smiling monster, um, but her f- her flesh is dropping off her f- drooping. It's not dropping off her face, and you can't see the bones. So I'm long story short or long story medium. I'm gonna say that it is the the toe 
the the monster and i don't know if there's a name or whatever the 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 creature monster who's looking wants her toe back <laughs> you're right with like a teeny tiny asterisk 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 yes um so that is the monster that they used for the the toe the where is my big toe story in the movie in the book it's actually from a different story called oh, okay. the haunted house so it's like they the haunted house is in the movie yes there is that they that chapter at the end it, or when they get to the haunted house that chapter starts writing yeah or whatever and it says the haunted house but yeah um so that actual like character is from okay like the way that it looks right is from the haunted house story is that character search searching for its toe not in the haunted house. So is what's the character looking for its toe? Is it a different description? Yeah, it's just like a creature. There's not a description of it or a picture okay. in the book for the the big toe story, okay. which I assume is why they borrowed um an illustration from Okay. Um so Real quick, sorry to, to interrupt. Very obviously for this and for the for this whole episode, we're gonna. This is one you're gonna want to follow us on social media on. Yes, because this is one of those ones where we're gonna take stills of the movie, and we're gonna put them next to pictures, illustrations. We're definitely gonna do from that. the book. Uh, I mean, you could go find the book, but we have the book uh, and you follow us on social media. You'll be able to see these side by side comparisons to see because I was wondering, I was like, well, how do you know it's the same character? But obviously, if the illustration is very similar, mm -hmm. then it's very obvious that that's the character they pull. Um, right. And I, I want to talk a little bit more about this later. Uh -huh. But one of the things that they did for this movie was they put a lot of effort into like trying to make the actual illustrations come to life yeah so it's very like true to what you would see in the first editions of these books mm -hmm. um and that like ghost character who is looking for her big toe in the movie is in the book right she's just in a different right. story i get I, yeah I, I see what you're saying like i said when i was just going from this description mm -hmm. without seeing the image i was like well how do you know yeah. it's the yeah. same character but it, obviously if you're seeing the image and then you look at the movie it's very clear that's yeah. what you know because it is so true to to what's going on but we'll talk about more that more later so cool uh first one was correct what's the second one all right next one they gave it a pointy nose and tiny eyes then they added dark hair and a twisted frown. They gave it a pointy nose and tiny eyes. Then they added dark hair and a twisted frown. I think the only thing that anybody creates in the movie there that would anybody would create, like I don't remember anybody drawing anything or anything, but the only character I can make sense of for like they gave it these features would be the Scarecrow, which I think's name was Harold, if I remember correctly. Um <sighs> I can't think of anything else, so I'm going to say that that was Harold. That is Harold. Yes. You did a good job with sussing that one out. You got to use your context clues when you're playing Guess Who. <laughs> okay, last one. A woman with a pale face and black eyes and long black hair. Okay, so there's really like only one character that really jumps out, and that's the one from the Red Room. Uh, the the thing that's a little strange to me is that this description leaves out like in the the movie's most identifiable characteristic of that character, which is its 
strange shape and the the mm-hmm. giant head with a giant creepy smile. Yeah. Um that's not described in this, but everything else about it fits the the pale face, the black eyes and the long black hair all are accurate to this char- the character whatever this character's name might be. Um that's in the red room that Charlie that gets Charlie and absorbs Charlie or Chuck or whatever his name is. Uh, so I'm going to go with that character because uh, the only other well, I think I'm going to go with the only other character I could think of would be would be like like I mentioned earlier, like the the mother maybe or something, which I'm not even convinced is in the book. We'll t- we'll get to I'm going to go with the, the, the pale face woman, creepy giant blob pale face. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Nailed it. That's um. The story is called The Dream. Yeah, that's right. That's in the movie. Yeah. That name of the story. Um, And she doesn't have a name in the book, but a lot of like articles and things call her the Pale Lady. Okay. All right. Uh, We'll get to the next segment. We didn't do Let Me Sum Up. It's pretty basic. It's uh, some kids in the 60s find a book uh, in a spooky house. Uh, the spooky book brings spooky monsters to life who slowly, one by one, eat the kids, kill, eat the, the kids that found the book. Um, and now and the kids try to figure out a way to get rid of the book and stop the spooky monsters. And that's basically kind of it. And the spooky, uh, there's some other stuff, frame story that we'll talk about with like why these this book exists and why these monsters exist. We'll get, all, get to all that later. Um, but it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. So and I and 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 uh, our theater is running this movie in theaters. We 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 bought it and watched it at home just for the sake of time. But uh, our theater is running this movie right now. And if you're looking for a fun spooky movie and you can find like a five dollar showing or a matinee or something, I'd recommend it. It's not a great movie, mm-hmm. um, but I enjoyed it overall. Yeah, it has it's, its, it's, it's spooky. It's fun. Yeah, it's it's spook more spooky than scary, which we'll yeah. talk about more later. Um, but yeah, it's a fine, fun like Halloween film that I think it would, would be, be fun to go like see with your friends. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, yeah, in that regard, I'd kind of recommend it. All right, let's move on. Was that in the book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? I have a fair amount of questions here. I don't have Lost in Adaptation, like I mentioned earlier, but I have a lot of was that in the books. First, does this book or any of these stories take place in the 60s? The movie takes place in 1968. Um, but more importantly, uh, not only does it do this, does I guess my question isn't just specifically, does it take place? Does the stories take place in the 60s? Do they take place in any distinct time period or are they just sort of more generic this is a spooky story. They're more generic. There's not. I mean, some of them you could maybe like read it and try to place and it like, like date them based on uh, technology it might or take something. place sometime in this time period. But no, there's yeah. not really any distinct time period. Yeah. Um, and then kind of I guess I, this is like a, a, a bunch of questions that I have rolled into one. The frame story of this movie of. A bunch of, and I, I'm assuming that this is not in the book, but a bunch of kids finding uh, that our friends end up finding this spooky house. They find this book in it, and uh, the book is what brings these scary stories to life that this young girl, Sarah, or Bello, or not young, uh, this girl used to tell these spook scary stories. Her name was Sarah Bellows, and she would tell these stories. Uh, and there were scary stories, and they're kind of become this myth within the community, blah, blah, blah. That whole deal 
um, and, and including that, like these main characters that exist. Not, is any of that from the the book? Sort of the frame story of this movie. Is any of that in the book? No. That's okay. That's yeah. what I figured. So the movie has the frame story of the group of friends that find the haunted house and find the book, and then it has the kind of frame around that yeah. of the haunted house and Sarah Bellows and yeah. her abusive family. None of that is in the book. Okay. It's all for the movie. Um, so the book, um, Alvin Schwartz, the author, mm-hmm. he's actually a folklorist. Yeah. Um, so these books are stories that are collected from folklore. That makes um, sense. You know, they're, they're urban legends, they're campfire stories, and he kind of collected them all into this book and like, retold them right. for kids yeah so oh, that's what the books are yeah uh that that's what i remembered and that's what i thought uh do any of the characters share the same names from that you recall from the short story because in the movie the the main characters that were following their store their names end up getting written into mm-hmm. the stories and that's how they know who's gonna die or get taken because of that story or whatever are um, any of those names the same well, Harold's name is the same. Right. And uh, there might be one of the characters in Harold's story might be named Tommy. Yeah. If I'm remembering right. But a lot of times in these stories, the characters don't have names. Okay. Um, You know, a, a lot of them like aren't is aren't even like two pages long. Yeah. They're very short stories. Yeah. No, no, they definitely are. There's a lot of them in here and they're. Yeah. The, so the big toe story, which is one of the things we see in the movie mm-hmm. um, about a big toe, a boy was digging at the edge of the garden. The character's name in the, in the book, I'm looking at the book right now. It's just a boy. And in the yeah. movie, that character is uh, uh, August or Augie or whatever they call him. It looks like in most of these, the characters are unnamed. They're just the boy, the uncle, the the man. Blah, blah, blah. The old woman. So it's a lot of just... Um, Okay, in Harold's story, there are two other characters, and one of them is named Thomas. Okay. So that's the same. There are... And and this this story, The Thing, which I don't think is in the movie, has several characters, Ted Martin and Sam Miller. So some of them do, and some of them may... uh, We would have to go find specifically the... All of the ones that match up to Mm -hmm. the movie. Um but yeah, a lot of these stories don't have character names. Yeah. So, okay, cool. Are there does the movie have any and this is a small element of the film. I asked you does the movie do the does the book or any of the short stories that you read have any sort of commentary on or metaphors for racism that you noticed? Um, <laughs> because that's an element of the movie. There's a character who's Hispanic and people are racist to him several yeah. times. Uh not in the ones that we're talking about here. I mean, I would have to, I didn't go through and read every, there are three of these books, so I didn't read everything for this episode. I read the ones that I knew we were going to be talking about. Now, they are folklore, and they are urban legends, so I could see maybe there are stories here and there that have some elements or metaphors in them um, regarding that, but not the ones that they used for the movie. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, that's kind of what I figured. Uh, the movie, to be fair, doesn't really do anything with the, the racism thing. It doesn't really no, get it really very deep. Doesn't. It was one of my big complaints about the movie in general, and we'll get, we'll get to it, is that there there's some good ideas, especially the main story. I think when we hit the end has kind of an okay payoff with the main character, uh, Stella and Sarah, I think is okay. 
Um, I have no, we'll talk about it later, but some of the other elements of it don't feel real well thought out. And like the element with the racism where like the bully is like racist and like they're there, he's racist, he gets killed. And then we move like, there's no like through line. The movie doesn't continue to comment on it in any real way. Just kind of racism is bad, I guess. Like, okay. Um, (laughs) Next question. We kind of already addressed this, but I just want to ask specifically, so one of the stories you read for in preparation for this was the haunted house. Mm-hmm. Does that haunted house bear any resemblance to the house, the Bellows house that we get in? Because I, my question originally was, is there a specific spooky haunted house in the book? And now there is a chapter or a story called the haunted house. Yes. My question was, is that at all related to the house that we get in the movie? I mean, aside from it being a house, and having the ghost of uh, a wronged young woman in it, no. Okay, but it is there is some element of inspiration there. Of there's a young woman who was, yes, wronged in some way. Yes, because that's that's interesting. So they, it sounds like maybe they took the haunted house story mm-hmm. and expanded the mythos of it for the film. Yeah, in a way, or changed it. Changed maybe it. Yeah. Changed it because I saw just glancing through the haunted house chapter, I saw the. Uh, I saw the word the preacher a lot of times mm-hmm. and there's no preacher really in mm-hmm. the movie uh, necessarily. Um, okay. Interesting. So the whole Sarah Bell storyline was added, but maybe expanded from the haunted house short story and maybe even pulled some other elements from other stories you either didn't read or whatever. Potentially. It's possible. We don't know for sure. So I'm going to get into some of the details because we hit the point in the movie where we actually get to the where like, Basically, the way this movie works is that the book starts writing these scary stories Mm -hmm. and then these things start happening to our main characters. And I'm assuming that these scary things that start happening are individual stories from scary stories to tell in the dark. Uh, I'm going to get into some of the specific details about these and ask if those are from the books. But more generally, before we get there, are the the things. So I'll I'll go ahead and go through them briefly and you can kind of say if these are from the book or not. Uh, we talked about the toe. Mm-hmm. That's from the book. Mm-hmm. We talked about Harold. Mm-hmm. That's from the book, the Scarecrow. We talked about, uh, we didn't talk about the spiders coming out of the girl's face. Is that a story? Yes. Okay, so that's from uh, the books. And then we talked about the haunted house, which is kind of like the Cerebella story. Uh, is there one I'm missing? Oh, yes. Uh, the whatever the guy, um, Me Tai Doty Walker. Yes. That's a that's also and that's the, the monster that comes after Ramon. Mm-hmm. That's from the book. Yeah. Okay, so I think that's sort all of, of them. Yeah. Sort of. But again, I was talking broad strokes like that's Right. Um I think that's all of them, right? Oh, and then the the dream. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So all the stories are at least all the stories we see are at least loosely inspired by stories yes. from the book. The core ideas are there or yeah. there's some loose inspiration. Okay. Um, but yeah, the scary things that happen to them are what is from the book, essentially. Okay, cool. Uh, now to get into some of the specifics of those stories and see, suss out what was changed or what wasn't. Uh, in the Herald story, is Harold a scarecrow in the book? Because in the movie... Tommy is this bully in the school and he lives on a farm and they have a scarecrow that he doesn't like uh, that's named Harold uh, that ultimately kills him. Is the scarecrow, is Harold a scarecrow? Yes. Okay. My follow up for that is if, if Harold is a scarecrow, does one, does it look like it does in the movie? And two, 
if so, what's what is its head made of? Because in the movie, it has like a weird decaying human head Uh as its head. And I don't know what it's supposed to be. It looks as Harold. I think they got like especially accurate. It looks like the illustration hopped off of the pages. Right. Um, and that's the way that like all of the creatures are supposed to look. Yeah. Um, I watched a long time ago, like closer to when this actually came out. I watched a really interesting video that I'll I'll go back and find it and post it on our social media about like the lengths that they went to to try to make these creatures look like yeah. the illustrations hopped up off the pages. Right. Um, as for what specifically he's made of, it's not expanded upon in the book. Um, if I had to wager a guess, I would say maybe it's pigskin. Okay. Yeah. Cause there are, so uh, second question, are there bugs on them in the book? Is that mentioned at all? It's not mentioned. Okay. Because then that would make a little sense of why there are like beetles and, and stuff crawling all over its face is if it is made out of like a rotting carcass or something, yeah. then maybe sure, you know, maybe it's a, it's got bugs on it. And then maybe that would explain why it looks like that. Yeah. But I was just a little confused in the movie. I'm like, what is that supposed to be? Cause like, again, I assumed it's what it looked like in the book, but I was like, well, I don't know what that, like, it's not burlap. It's not, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the face specifically, the rest of it just looks like a scarecrow yeah. basically. But the face, I was like, I don't understand what that is. Next question about the Herald story. Uh, in the movie, Tommy gets his comeuppance for being a racist asshole. Uh, he gets stabbed in the chest by the pitchfork uh, by Harold with his pitchfork. Um, and I thought there were some fun little details in the scene. And I, this was the scariest this movie was probably like scariest. I think um, is that Tommy turns into a scarecrow. But what for at first after he gets stabbed, he has these these holes in him and, mm-hmm. and straw starts coming out of the holes, which I thought was creepy and fun. And then uh, eventually he starts, like, puking up straw and, like, it's coming out of his mouth and stuff. And then eventually he just turns into a, a, a scarecrow that looks like Harold and it's really creepy and gross. Is a- any of that stuff what happens in the story? No. Okay. More on that later. Okay. But I will tease this. I did not find the him transforming particularly scary. Really? I thought it was the creepiest part of the like scare like grossest like I, I don't know how scary it was again none of the movies particularly scary in my opinion most of it's kind of spooky fun which mm-hmm. i think is the point i think it's supposed to be um but i did find that particular scene the most upsetting maybe other than the spider scene which we'll talk about later but that's <laughs> specifically because i just don't like spiders most more than anything i think um but, like, I thought that scene in particular where he turns into a scarecrow was, like, gross and, like, him, like, hacking up straw and, like, and then his face morphs. And I I really, I, I thought that was. I'm just going to tease that I was expecting something else. All right. All right. We'll get to that more later. Uh, is there a stew f- with a toe in it? Yes, there is. <laughs> Does the character eat the toe? Yes. Nice. Um, in the book, they actually purposefully make stew with the toe, mm. knowing that it's a toe. Um, so weird. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it, it's kind of a gimme for like a spooky campfire story, right? I think, um, which uh, that probably wouldn't have worked in the context of this frame story in the movie. Yeah. Um, 
and I, I had like a kind of a different issue with that storyline, which yeah. we'll talk about later. Okay. Uh, speaking of the spiders in the cheek sign scene, uh, I nope, don't like that. Didn't like that scene. Real not a big fan of that scene. Not particularly big on spiders. I'm less scared of them than I used to be when I was younger, mm. but I still don't particularly like them. And in particular, the idea of them burrowing out of my cheek, truly horrifying. Uh, they don't show a ton of it in the movie because this is like a PG-13 yeah. movie and they're kind of yeah. writing that line of like what they can show. Um, but is that we talked about the stories in the book. Do the cheeks, do, do the spiders burst forth from somebody's cheek or skin or something in the yes. story? Oh, yeah. um, that one, like the the core idea of it is spot on. Um, obviously, there's like more detail about who the girl is right. in the movie. Um, but they, she does get like a spider bite on her cheek, and they do come like bursting out. Mm, mm, don't like it. Um, and I think that's one where you can really tell that some of these stories are like urban myths. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, this one girl, she got a spider bite, and then yeah, the spider like laid eggs in her. That's cheek, absolutely that one of those. Of, yeah. Oh, the spider laid eggs in your ears, and then like yeah. or up your nose or whatever, and then the spiders eat your brain, and yeah. Yeah, it's one of those for sure. <laughs> very, very much feels like a folklore story. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I, yeah, did not like that. We talked about, uh, obviously, because it's a guess who, that the creepy red room smiling monster is in the book. Does, and this is I what I touched on it earlier, and we'll, I, we'll know for sure once you post the pictures, but does it have the weird shape and face that... Because, again, the description just said black eyes, black hair, mm-hmm. whatever, pale face. Does it look in the book like it does in the movie? Yes. Okay. Why would then that description not be... That's one that the, <laughs> the illustrator, Mr. Gamble... He had fun with took it. Some liber- yeah. I think most of them probably he took some yeah. liberties with. But that one in particular, it's funny because you look at the description and you're like, okay, well, what about the creepy giant smile that it has? Why is that not in the description? Because the artist drew it later. Like, okay. All right. Uh, we talked about Mitai, Doty, Walker, whatever the heck that thing is saying. Um, th- so that's in the book. Mm. Does it show up at a police station or is there a cop in that story that sees the head? Does it roll around? Okay. So many questions about this one. One, does it like move around in pieces and then like reassemble? No. Okay. Does in a cop ever shoot at it? No. Okay. Cause that, that, I, that scene made me chuckle is when, because it was like the mo- one of the most real reactions in the movie <laughs> I thought the movie, the acting and stuff and reactions were pretty realistic overall in general. Uh, but the one scene that made me chuckle a lot was when the, the head falls out of the chimney or whatever in the police station in the movie. And it like starts talking and moving and the cop just immediately pulls out his gun and starts shooting at it. I was like. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> like if I was a co- if I had a gun and a head rolled into the police station and started moving and talking, I'd be like, "Nope, fuck this." Bang, 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 bang. But um yeah, it uh not in the book though. All right. Well, the character, the, the creature is, but not not shooting at it. Uh, yeah. Um so this one is one that was a little bit looser. Okay. Um the the part of this that is in the book is the head falling down the chimney. And then, like, rolling over and saying, me, Ty, Doty, Walker. Oh. And that's where the similarities to the book stop. Oh, really? Because then it, in the movie, it becomes the jangly man. Oh, so it's a separate thing. Which is, thing. like, the, the monster that, like, can reassemble its body parts and is, like, a contortionist and 
like creeping around. Um, that is a new monster that was developed for the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's not at least as far as I well, know. When you said the jangly man, you said that yeah. like it was a a thing from the, well, the story. The jangly man is what they call it in the movie. Oh, do they? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess you're right. I thought for some reason it was me tied because why does it say that then? Uh, that's I that that's the what's the in the story in the book, I but know, it's not but, explained. Okay. It's it's folklore. No, I understand. I guess my question is why in the movie I thought that was its name. Never mind. It doesn't matter. I was confused. It. I thought the creature's name was. I thought it was saying its name like a Pokemon or something. <laughs> and then I forgot that they called it the Jangly mm-hmm. Man or whatever. Because in my head, I was just like, it's called Mitai Doty Walker, and then like right. that's its name, and that's what it says. That's the name of the story in the book. Is okay, Mitai Doty Walker. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just kind of like a creepy thing. Um, in the book, like it says that over and over, and then there is a dog. In the book, and the dog like replies to it, yeah, with, like the, more nonsense words. I thought it was interesting in the movie. It did seem like the dog was talking, yeah, when it's like barking at the or it's like growling at the fireplace or whatever. Yeah, it was doing it in a way that sounded like it was talking, and I was like, "What is happening here? This is very strange." Um, and you know, they kind of had to expand on that monster, um, to make it something that could like chase them around yeah because you know in the book it's it's just a head right um but i think having it like go ahead and say me tai doty walker was probably a thing for people who read the book right you know they just found a way to yeah add it yeah found a way to kind of like slide that in there yeah cool uh and then finally obviously this bit this last question makes no sense but the movie ends with sequel bait like real mm-hmm. like like real hard real sequel hard bait. sequel bait not like ooh maybe like we're making a sequel bait like let's go to the sequel now yeah. like is how this movie ends which i thought was a bold choice i mean you can assume the movie is going to do well and i think it probably made enough movie or made enough money mm-hmm. cuz the budget was like 25 million and it grossed worldwide like 90 million mm-hmm. or at least so far i guess it's still making money technically uh, yeah i guess if so if it's still it got re-released in the theaters but I, I was like, that's a real bold choice to end your movie so, like... And now we're and driving, now we're to, driving the to the sequel. And now we're driving to the sequels. Like, wow, <laughs> all right. Um, but yeah, I, I assume there's... I say I assume. There's not any... Because there's no yeah, narrative. There's, there's no, no narrative. shared narrative, so that makes yeah. no sense. Okay, cool. All right, that was it for Was That in the Book? As I mentioned earlier, no loss in adaptation, so we're going to get it going to get in to Katie's segments with Better in the Book. You'd like to read? Yes, I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. Okay, um, so I have a handful of things for each of my segments. Uh, we talked about the crawly bugs crawling on Harold every time they showed him. There were like bugs crawling all over him. Yeah. I didn't really care for that because I felt like there was an implication that like the bugs were the monster. Potentially, I, I don't know. I didn't get that at all. Okay. Just as a non-book reader, I didn't get that at all. All right. To me, I just didn't care for it. That's fine. I mean, I to me, I just thought it was... It, it added a little... Not It didn't add to my confusion with anything. I just thought it was just like a creepy thing. Like, I didn't get that it was... Um, to me, it was just an allusion to lots of, like, horror monsters that have, like, right. bugs on them. Like, I never assumed... I never would have assumed that, like, the bugs were controlling it or anything like that, so... So we uh, talked about uh, Tommy turning into a scarecrow. 
yeah. earlier. And I mentioned that I didn't, not that it wasn't scary, but I was expecting something more gruesome. But I understand why they changed it, because like we mentioned, it was PG-13. And I think this would have taken it probably to a, a different place if they had kept the original ending from Harold's story. Okay. Um, so in Harold's story, uh, he's created by two farmhands named Alfred and Thomas. Um, and they they know that he's like come to life. Um, so they're like kind of getting the heck out. Um, but then Thomas has to go back and get something. Um and Alfred then goes back for Thomas because Thomas does not return okay. after going back to the farm. Okay. Um, so I'm going to read the very end of Harold's story. Okay. When Alfred came to a rise in the path, he looked back for Thomas. He did not see him anywhere, but he did see Harold. The doll was on the roof of the hut again. As Alfred watched, Harold kneeled and stretched out a bloody skin to dry in the sun. Oh. Yeah. They can't yeah. do that. No, they can't do that. No, yeah. So that yeah, that's that that's that's full on like uh, Texas chainsaw yeah. massacre, you know. But with a scarecrow. With a sca- yeah, that's full on our horror slasher film ending yes not ending but uh ending of that story but yeah so they obviously they couldn't do that i i think the change they made was still creepy i can see why if if you're comparing it like that's horrifying yeah i'm just saying like you know i was expecting like bloody skin stretched out in the sun and then i got like boy turns into scarecrow right that's fair that's totally fair fair enough um, I think the big toe was like an interesting choice that they made for this movie. Like if we're picking stories, there's three books to choose from. Right. And we're picking stories. I feel like a big toe was an interesting choice. Yeah. Um, I think like for it to work in the context of the frame story that they built, the stew just has to like appear there. Because it doesn't make any sense for them to purposefully make stew out of the toe. Yeah. Like what happens in the book. So the stew just like appears in the fridge is what we're supposed to think. Yeah. But to me, it didn't feel earned in the movie. Like, I don't know, maybe if that hadn't been the second story that they used, like the second creepy thing that happened, like it just didn't feel earned to me. Like that idea of the the stew just like appearing there. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, that was I for me. It just felt like by that point because what was the the first one was was Harold Harold and I was like once a scarecrow comes to life and murders a kid and he turns into a scarecrow I'm pretty much down for anything like <laughs> a mysteriously appearing stew doesn't like <laughs> knock my socks off at that point like <laughs> I mean fair enough I don't know I just it. There's something about it that just didn't like it was a gimme that didn't work for me. Okay. In the movie. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, for me it just it just fit in line with like, oh yeah, this is what we're doing. Like when the story starts writing, just magical weird things start happening and whatever that is doesn't really matter. Like I uh, I was just on board at that point for whatever the book said creepy shit was gonna happen. So <laughs> I was like, fine. I think one of the reasons they chose it 
I think in particular, they did, they went with a couple, they tried to go for almost like archetypal, like types of these stories mm-hmm. where the first one was like a, a traditional, like slasher, like s- horror film thing of like the scarecrow monster with a pitchfork killing a kid in the field and him turning into a scarecrow. The second one was almost more of like a, like a weird gross out food thing where he like eats a toe and he's like, throw it. He doesn't throw up, which I thought was weird. I guess maybe there's an R. I don't know what the ratings thing is for that, (laughs) but like, I felt like he should have thrown up after he had a fucking human toe in his mouth or whatever. Um, and then like the spider one is like the particular, like creepy crawly, weird, like creature body horror thing. And then the, 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 the one when the red room dream one is like, just sort of this weird off-putting, like, I don't understand what's going on, mm-hmm. like, mind-bendy, like, where every, like, it's everywhere he turns, the creature's there, and it's just slowly getting closer. So I tried, I felt like they were trying to go with, like, a bunch of different types of, like, scary things. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that the toe one is just kind of, like, was, like, they're, like, like gross-out gross, yeah, one gross or out whatever. One. Um, I guess. Would be my guess at what they were going for there, so... Um, yeah, it, it worked fine for me. It, it was whatever. It didn't. I didn't have any strong feelings on it. Um, I also felt like in that scene. Um, I mentioned that the creature that they used for the big toe scene in the movie was actually the ghost from the haunted house in the books. Yeah, and I, I felt like that was kind of a waste of that character because they don't really show it. Like we don't really get a good look. Yeah, we get at like that a, creature. a far away look. We get like of, a far away kind of hallway. look, and then like a really quick shot when yeah, it grabs, when grabs him. him. Um, and like to me, that particular illustration is one of the creepiest and one of the most iconic. And I felt yeah. a little bit like that was a waste. Yeah, like they wasted it. I was kind of expecting them to use that creature for Sarah Bellows. Yeah, but. Yeah, that would have been interesting. That would have probably made sense just yeah. looking at the illustration. Yeah. Um, although in the in the narrative of the film, she's an albino, so her having dark hair doesn't make any sense because that character mm. has dark hair. But I'm just saying, like, yeah. But in general, they could have done something like that. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about it in my, when we get to, like, the general odds and ends notes and stuff, but I think this movie had a, a, a bit of a hard time figuring out how much to show of mm-hmm. of the creatures, and I yeah. don't know if they hit the right balance. And yeah. we'll talk about it more. Um, well, let's talk about it now, because there's no reason to put it off. I think the movie d- d- doesn't... would have benefited a lot from showing less... I would agree with that. But also showing more. I would also agree with that. So what I think the movie fails at is I think it shows us the creatures too much for too long, but not with enough detail or close up enough for the creepiness of the illustrations to come through fully. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is, and now a lot of that is probably to do with like budget because so that it would have been cool if they would have done like practical effects and mixed it with CG, but this is all CG. Well, supposedly, monsters. that's what they did. Supposedly, if they did, they didn't do a great job of it yeah. because I couldn't tell you which ones were practical. Now, sorry, Sarah Bellows at the end is practical makeup. Like now, supposedly, um, the jangly man is like like a lot of it is CG. 
But like when you see it like walking around, supposedly that's a contortionist with like a motion capture suit. Sure. But it's still CG, so much CG on top no, of it yeah, that I it agree. just looks like a CG monster. And, and I thought the jangly man was particularly not great looking as far as I, CG goes. I thought that whole sequence was fun, but again, not. I think I so I think the thing that the movie doesn't capture is how creepy the it, it captures what the creatures look like, but not like the the monsters and whatnot from the books look like, but not how creepy they are to look at. And I think mm-hmm. the problem with that is. We both see them for too long. Like, let's talk specifically about the the the, the monster you talked about the um, the toe monster in the mm-hmm. movie. Um, that woman is the the illustration in the book is really creepy, mm-hmm. but all, the only illustration of it we get is like a close up of her face. Yes, is what is in the book. In the movie, we never get that shot. If we do, we get it for like that split second. When she grabs him or whatever. Yeah. But we get a very long takes of her like walking down the yeah, hall like from far away. And so it sort of kills the, the 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 scariness of it. Like when we're sitting there watching long shots of this creature shambling down the hallway slowly and like looking at it like it's hard to explain. I think the movie needed less. We needed to see the creatures less overall, but when we did see them, needed to be more impactful. No, yeah, I think you had you know the nail I mean? on the head. Like, yeah, it just needed to be like when we did see them. It needed we needed to sit on it for a minute and revel, and they needed to do more practical. Like, if we had seen a practical makeup of that shot, maybe enhanced with CG or whatever, mm-hmm. a little bit. But of that shot of the 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 drippy droopy woman lady creature thing, and but it's seen a close up like a pop scare close up of that would have been like holy shit, and that would have been seared into your brain. Whereas it is, we just get we kind of get like long boring shots of her like shuffling around, and then like mm-hmm. we just never get that one like holy shit moment with that character, and yeah. it happens with most of them. Where they're like on screen too much and not enough at the same time. Well, as long as we're talking about that, yeah. Um, let's talk about the pale lady, uh, the lady in the red room. Mm-hmm. Um, she looks like she did in the illustration, but for me, like her moving and like on film, I thought was kind of silly looking. Like I, I didn't find that scene particularly scary. I thought like the beginning of it was kind of off-putting, but like the closer she got to him, and then like when she hugged him, I was like, okay, this is kind of silly. It, it felt not scary. Yeah, it felt. Yeah, I, I don't disagree because it was kind of creepy and off-putting. I think they needed to do something with how she moved, or. Or some sort of effect to like make her. When we saw her closer up, it you, mm-hmm. I hundred percent agree that it stopped, and because it happens so many times, and yes. she's on screen so long, yes. and we keep getting closer and closer. By the time she gets to the scary part where she gets him, yeah, I I was like, and you know, and I also okay. think rather than like showing her envelop him into her arms. Have her reach for him, hard cut. Yeah. And then the just the pen is there. Yeah. Or, or yeah, yeah, no, I agree. That would be good. Uh, the other option is while she's enveloping him, he needs to be more terrified. 
Yeah. Because he's just like, because you could do that scene of him being enveloped and like. And have it be horrific. Have it be horrific. But he just kind of is like, oh, like yeah. he's just like, what? OK, I guess. Uh. And then it's like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where I'm like, because you can do that scene where if he's freaking out, I can put myself in his head and, and the, of the idea of like slowly being enveloped by this weird creature it can be a horrifying idea. You know, it's like claustrophobic and like, oh, uh, mm-hmm. and like you don't know what's going on. But the, the way it plays out in the movie is isn't that scary because he's just kind of like accepts it and like. And I'm yeah. like, all right, well, I guess if he wasn't that scared by it, I don't know if I should be at this point. Like, yeah. Um, and then it, this is not a better in the book thing, really, because the frame story wasn't in the book. But a problem I had with the movie was that they should have teased his supposedly recurring dream yeah. of this pale lady way earlier. Yeah. Like, they failed at set up remind payoff. Yeah. Like, they reminded us. Right before they go in to talk to the really old black lady. Yeah. Really old quote. <laughs> yeah. That, that, um, well, when we'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, and then they pay it off, like, immediately yeah. at the hospital. But there's no setup for it. No. No, I agree. 100%. Because it, it, what they should have done is, and, and, and I'm surprised they didn't do this, is he should have, easy way to do this is when he goes in that, cl- uh, the, 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 the armoire in the beginning yeah. of the movie, he opens the doors the one time and he sees, he op- he goes in, he hides, it's the old house, he opens the, the doors and he sees the, the old lady sitting at the bed or with the dog or whatever and he's like, what? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he shuts the doors and then he opens them again and he sees, and he's in the hallway and he sees the 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 face, the pale woman at yeah. the, like the end of the hallway or something. And he's like, "What?" And then he shuts the doors. And he and then and then he hears something walking up. And then the same thing in the movie happens where uh, August or whatever opens mm-hmm. the doors, and it's like, "Oh, you know." But then you would at least have set it up the first time, yeah. As like, what's going on with that? What is that? That I never. What is this going to be? And then he reminds us at the the the, the lady's house, and then it, it pays off. But yeah. The, Mm. The the screenplay was the weakest part of this movie, mm-hmm. I think probably, yeah. yeah. And some of the visual mm. choices. I, I, I liked the way it looked overall and the way it was shot, but I think, like I said, we already talked about it. But like, they just didn't do a great job of 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 choosing how to show the the monsters in the scariest, creepiest way possible. I yeah. think is the biggest critique when that's the whole point of like these books yeah. and like why everybody remembers them. So, yeah. I agree. Um, we're going to move on to Better in the Movie. All right, let's do it. Better in the Movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. Maybe more aptly titled things that I liked about the movie. Cool. Um, I thought the scene where Chuck sees the room set up as it used to be with like the old lady and the dog... Um, when he's hiding in the closet. I yeah. thought that was pretty creepy. Yeah. Um, I'm also a sucker for, like, liminal spaces. You've right. popped back in time. Yeah. Kind of a thing. Um, so maybe that's a me thing. Mm-hmm. No, I thought it was creepy. <laughs> um, I thought the beginning of the scene with Harold was creepy. Like, where he well, walks past him twice. And, like, maybe he's going in circles, but maybe he's not. Um, and then you see, like, the empty stake. It's a little bit expected. Yeah. Um, but it's still creepy. Yeah. Um, in the in the short story, they start to suspect that he's come to life because it, like, grunts at them a couple times, the scarecrow does. Um, so that's at least creepier than that. Yeah. I have some issues with the frame story, 
But I, I did think that having these stories from the book happen to characters that we theoretically care about adds some interesting stakes to yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Um, I thought the scene where we can hear Sarah's voice, like where she's being tortured with like electroshock therapy, I thought yeah. that was yeah, that was creepy, creepy. effective. Yeah. The dog in the me tie Dodie Walker scene. Oh yeah. Um, so we mentioned that like the way he was whining, it kind of sounds like he's talking back to it, Mm -hmm. which I thought was a much better way to do it. Um, and I understand like the folklore elements in the short story that's in the book. He like sings nonsense words back Mm. to the creature, which I think would have just read as silly in the movie. Yeah. Um, the dog also dies in the book. It like drops over dead. So the dog doesn't die in the movie. I always enjoy when the dog does not die. So that was better for me. Yeah, I will say, and I would, I would be interested to see this. I was wondering, and I don't know if this is the case and somebody else could, I could go back and look and try to figure it out. But when the dog sounds like it's taught in the movie, when the dog sounds like it's talking to the, the jangly man or whatever, Mm -hmm. I, for a minute, was like, is this dog doing Morse code? Hmm. It sounds like it's growling in Morse code. Interesting. There's like a rhythm to its growls that is very unnatural. And that's why I think they're going for like the talking. Yeah. But it's because it's the same like growly pitch over and over again. Mm -hmm. It sounded like Morse code. And now I'm wondering if it was like Morse code or something weird like that. I don't know. I doubt it. But it was, I mean, I doubt it. Doubt it. Never mind. Um, but yeah, I was like, this is dog doing Morse code. What's going on? But yeah, I think it was just supposed to be like, talking. Um, also side note, our cat scared the poop out of me during this. Scene. Oh yeah. Um, so our cat Albus, who is an adorable chonk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's a fat cat. he is, he will lay on his side and sleep and he makes like cute wheezy sounds mm-hmm. when he sleeps, like little tiny little cat snores. Yeah. Um, which on its own is super cute, but when you are watching a slightly creepy scene in a movie by yourself in the house and you can't figure out where the extra sound is coming from, (laughs) yeah, little creepy. Somebody wheezing in the walls. (laughs) Yeah. Cause it was like right, kind of right on the tails of like the dog whining. Yeah. And then I could hear like this little wheezing sound coming from somewhere and I was like, He's at, he knew. He was adding ambiance for you. <laughs> he was just trying to add to your movie-going experience. <laughs> that was it for Better in the Movie. We have just two things in the movie Nailed It. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. Just two things. Um, a lot of this is pretty different. Um, uh, the, the monsters, the creatures, um, I talked about how, how much effort they put into like trying to make the illustrations pop off the page. So while they didn't necessarily nail like how much to show us and for how long to show us, um, the look of them is spot on. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that's most frustrating about the fact that they didn't quite nail like how to show the monsters was that you when you look at them, you can tell like, yeah, these look how they should look. But like, I'm yeah, they just yeah, uh, if they could have nailed the ratio of when and how to show them, it it is very frustrating. It would have been so much better. Um, and then the the scene with the spiders crawling out of Ruth's face. Yeah, was it was it was there. Is that one particular moment? And I could have had this was that in the book. 
does it's a little detail but it is a creepy detail where she's it looks like a hair growing mm-hmm. out of her face and then she touches it and it moves that's not in the okay because that particular yeah, that moment is like detail. a good little detail that i thought was ugh, yeah gross and <laughs> off-putting but great all right that was it for the movie nailed it we're gonna get into some odds and ends before we hit the final verdict All right, odds and ends. Uh, I have a lot of notes here. We've talked about some mm-hmm. of it already, so. But yeah. you also have a fair amount. I do have a, a fair amount of notes. Um, you know, since the, the whole entire frame story is not in the book, I was kind of struggling with where to put some things. Yeah, that's um, kind of what I was, I think, yeah. too, and why, why I have more notes here than normal. But. Yeah. So immediately, as soon as I started watching this, I was like, hey, the hearse song is in this. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a song that's actually in the first book because there's a section of like folklore, creepy songs. Yeah. Um, it's called the hearse. It's the, the music box theme that repeats throughout the movie. I sang it at the beginning. Which you got a little taste of at the beginning. The whole beginning, the whole frame story. So I, I, this whole frame story, uh, in general and, and, and sort of the characters and the setting it's set in the sixties, which I wasn't expecting. I wasn't expecting um, that either. And in the frame story, the way it sets up, we're introduced to Stella and August or Augie and mm-hmm. Charles, um, all felt r- a bit generic. It is. It's, uh, it's, it's very Goonies. Yeah. Goonies, losers club, stranger stand things, by stand by me. D- it. Yeah. Literally take your pick of of the any any sort of coming of age spooky thing mm-hmm. of the last 50 years. I think it would feel less generic if it didn't come after Stranger Things. Yeah. Like Stranger Things and the It remake yes. just came all both of those came out before this. Right? I think I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know Stranger Things that I, I think the It remake did, too, as well. And I think if both of those things hadn't come out before this, it would feel a little less like, okay, yeah, been here, done this. And like, our, uh, to add to the similarities, our main girl is kind of a nerdy redhead. Yeah, yeah, it's nerdy. Yeah, all of the all of the character tropes. It's the the whole setup is really tropey. Yes. Um. It, it's and and like I said, I think this would feel less tropey and generic. In if it wasn't post Stranger Things, but it's mm-hmm. just like we're so overloaded with this genre in this in a genre piece set in a specific nostalgic time period, mm-hmm. and then spooky things happen. It's like okay, we, yeah, we've done like you know what I mean. Like we've, we've eaten our fill. We've more than had our <laughs> fill, and this and and if you're gonna do that, you better do it real well. And this movie just does it. This movie mediocre. does it okay. That's what yeah. I mean. Like Stranger Things at least does it really well. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen the It movie, but it seems like at least the first one from all regards seemed to do it really well. And that's obviously based on yeah. the story. And it, that's when the story was set and stuff. But yeah. And yeah. And even beyond that, you're inviting comparisons to classics like The Goonies or Stand By Me yeah. um, and all that stuff. So again, you have to do it really well yeah. because you don't want to invite those comparisons and yeah. not do it really well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I thought it was an interesting choice to set these there because there's no reason well, other than to capitalize off of that sort of generic genre. Yeah. And like the setting in the 60s, I at first I was like, OK, what is the purpose of this? 
beyond like nostalgia factor because they don't really do anything with it. No. And they, they tease like like they keep teasing the election with Nixon yeah, and like Nixon the Vietnam War, but they, Vietnam. they don't really do anything no. with it. So so Ramon is who's one of the main characters is a uh, a, a draft dodger, yeah, basically, which I, he looked too young to me, but yeah, I thought he was supposed to be like fifteen or sixteen, but I, I yeah, don't think you could be drafted until too you were young. Yeah, I mean, I know the draft was young, but I thought it was seven, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. I thought somewhere would, in that range. I guess he can drive, so yeah, I guess he is supposed to be old enough. Like yeah. cl- clearly, he's supposed to be old enough because he did get, like, but he just seemed like younger than I thought. Well, I think also because the other kids I read mm. as like. Maybe 14. It's like, well, like 15. Yeah. Like I, I read him as like 15, 14, yeah. which is not old enough to be drafted. No. So like, and he's like, so he's like older than that. He's are. older, but he didn't read to me older. He no. read to me the same age as them. Yeah. So I was a little surprised, but he's like a draft dodger. And, and, and we'll talk about the end of this movie, which is strange. Yeah. But, um, so like it touches on that, but it doesn't really do. I think that's one of my biggest problems overall with this whole movie um, the two biggest problems. One, we talked about uh, not knowing how to make this m- the monster scary. Mm-hmm. Two, the biggest thing is this movie does nothing thematically with the scary stories other than the the one that's not from the books. So mm-hmm. the the frame story, the this this back and forth with Stella and Sarah, and we'll get to it, has some really interesting thematic things going on, and I think that's kind of strong at times. Um, with where Stella is this she she's eternally feels guilty about everything that happens because she her mom left when she was young and she feels like that's her fault and her friends start dying and she feels like that's her fault because or disappearing and she feels like that's her fault because she was the one who found this book and I mean, so she's not not it's not her not fault. her fault in that particular instance but it's also not her fault she was they all went into that house she had no you know what I mean like it's not her yeah. fault really um and and so she kind of puts all this blame on herself, but it, none of it's actually her fault. Uh, and that's contrasted and juxtaposed with this for other frame story of uh, Sarah Bellows, who was blamed by her family um, for the death of all these people in their town. When it turns yeah. out, it was actually not her fault at all. I mean, the family knew it wasn't her fault. They knew it was their right. fault. They use her as a scapegoat. They use her as a scapegoat. And so I like that juxtaposition. And then their their confrontation at the end. We'll talk about in depth a little more. It's eh, we'll get to it. But I liked that. Right. I liked that there was at least something going on there. I think the biggest problem I had with the rest of it is that. So the thing that would make sense to me is if these stories, the the things that happen to each of the kids Mm -hmm. that get them and kill them or take them away had anything to do with them as characters. Yeah. And none of them do. They don't. So like August, because we don't know enough about them when they no. get taken most of the time to have any sort of connection as to what this story would mean in relation to them. Like, so the first one, Tommy, he's a bully and a racist, right? Mm-hmm. There's so much to work with there. Yeah. And what happens to him is he just gets stabbed by a scarecrow that is in his field. There's no correlation to like his character flaws or what's bad about him because mm-hmm. that seems like what you should do with this now i know that's not really the point of these stories right no. like they don't have like morals necessarily right but if you're going to add a frame story yeah and if you're going to expand on it and if you're gonna add themes and you're gonna add characters, characters that we're supposed to care about and that have character you, you need to see that through right because like these stories are just like the boy found a thing and yeah. then a spooky thing happened 
Right, I get that. But yeah, when we're introducing characters and you're setting them up and wanting us to care about them, and you're you're kind of giving them flaws in some way, and that's the thing that's really wild to me is they kind of tr- almost go there in some cases, but then don't. Like for instance, the sister of uh, Charles is um, she's an actress, or mm-hmm. she's like in the school play or whatever, or musical or whatever, and um, ultimately she's the one that has gets a spider bite that that comes out and the spiders burst out of her face. Yeah, during the big night of the play. And she gets covered in spider bites and taken to the hospital. What they don't do, which seems so obvious, is make her very vain. Yeah. And make her think it's a pimple, which she does. She does make think it's a pimple, but really lean into that and like make it about vanity and or some, you know what I mean? Like make it a a critique on her vanity. And and that's, that's, I think with that one, they at least tried. That one's the the only one they even got close to trying with. Yeah. But all of the other ones, like like the yeah, the thing that happens to Augie, we, 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 doesn't have anything to so do with. So Augie's just a dude who's like, kind of likes his other friends. He he's indecisive about. Mm-hmm. He likes both Stella, it seems like, um, who's the main female character, and his friend Charles's sister. Mm-hmm. He likes them. He has crushes on them. It never goes anywhere. Nothing ever comes mm-hmm. of it. At least in this movie. Again, there's a sequel potentially. Um, and so like if his downfall was something to do with being indecisive or not making a, like if his scary story had something that the monster was somehow related to the fact that he either didn't put himself out there or was Mm -hmm. indecisive or was trying to like woo both of them or something. You know what I mean? Like if he wanted to try to, if he was trying to like get with both of them or something or, or something like pick a character flaw or something and do something interesting with it. It just doesn't. He just he's he's at home eating. He's at home and his mom leaves him for the weekend and he gets stew and there's a toe in it and he eats it. And then a monster, a monster gets, gets him. him and it, it may, doesn't have anything. It has to do no with connection him to him or any, flaws or any part of his story. No, it's just literally just a thing that happens to him. And again, and then, that, then it's the same thing with Chuck. Yeah, it's but we're told that this is supposedly a recurring dream that he has. Yeah, but. It doesn't have anything to do with any kind of like character flaws. Like like if he had some if we had set up that he has some fear of like isolation or something or like claustrophobia, maybe. Yeah, but something something. it doesn't do any of that. And now I know that like maybe they don't want to like go too close to like some other movies that do that type of thing. But I think if you're already going to be as generic and tropey as this movie is, at least lean into it and do like. Like, really do it. Like, yeah. at least, like, make a good, satisfying, tropey, cliche-ridden movie. Yeah. Well, and I think, to me, like, the time period thing drove me even more crazy. Because they kept putting, like, uh, the uh, election with Nixon and the Vietnam War in the background. Yeah. Like, every now and then we would have this tease of, like, oh, here's what's going on in the backdrop of this time period. But they never do anything no, with it. they literally never do anything with it. It's just there. They don't comment on it. They don't tie it into the larger story arcs. No. It's just... There. It's not part of the meta narrative. It's literally just there. The only way it comes in is is purely in the narrative where at the end 
Ramon gets shipped off to Vietnam. Oh, yeah. Like, it's and just, that, yeah, that whole thing. It's just like, oh, and then at the end of the movie, Ramon's going to Vietnam. Well, like, apparently the jangly man taught him to do his civic duty. Yeah, I wasn't sure what the <laughs> what message was, was there. that? What is the message? Tell me, movie. Because he was dodging the draft, and then and then, and then at the, the end, jangly man keeps anymore. calling him a coward as it's chasing him. Yeah. And then at the end... He ends up, but I didn't even know if it was by his own choice or because he gets nabbed by the cops and he has no choice but to be. I don't know. You know what I, I mean? No. That's it. Just felt like all that stuff, like the the the, the meta narrative and thematically, it just felt really messy and like they yeah. didn't quite think through everything that they were trying to say. Like they they threw in stuff that felt like they were trying to get to something, mm-hmm. but none of it ever but really like, leads. Yeah, anywhere. they didn't know how to make those through lines. They didn't know how to make it pay off. For me, the only conceivable reason for this story to be set in 1968 is so that the kids can't just Google everything. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's part of the thing is when you do that. Yeah, same yeah. thing with, like, Stranger Things. I mean, apart from the nostalgia. Right, when, when you eliminate the World Wide Web. Yeah. Now we have to, like, run around and go ask questions and break into the hospital. Go to old creepy libraries. To get to the re- and, yeah, yeah. Look, go look at the microfiche. Yeah. I, yeah, which, you know, I get it. Like, it's it definitely makes it easier to tell that story yeah. um, without, you know, why aren't... Because nobody can just go, well, why didn't they just, like, Google this or whatever. But, like, so I get that. Um, yeah. I think the other thing, too, is that it... It's felt like they put all of their 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 focus or all of their effort into doing anything thematically, like I said earlier, into the story with the main character. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to it in just a second. I have a few more notes, but th- it just felt like that was they expended all they had X amount of like thematic credits and they like dumped them all into her, <laughs> into the into her story yeah. and the Sarah story and they like ran out they were like oh shoot we didn't use any of them on any of these side characters oh well <laughs> I guess we'll just things will just happen to them and we'll just move on but yeah it's it was frustrating for sure in that regard um and again it, it felt like one of those things like this movie very clearly felt like it was for kids. Yeah. In a way that I was not quite expecting. Like it mm-hmm. like if you th- if you watch this as just like if you're 12 or something mm-hmm. and you're not looking at it thematically in any way, sure. Like it's a creepy things happen. You don't really need to care why it's happening to these kids. It's something weird and kind of spooky is going on. Like I can get it from that regard and also the it being dr- generic and tropey not a problem. Not a problem when, when you're, you're 12. Well, yeah, when you're a young uh, consumer of media. <laughs> yeah, like, that's fine. Like, but when you're an old, jaded consumer <laughs> of media. Yeah. yeah. It's all, but that uh, that aspect of it is also interesting to me because they very clearly knew that they also had an audience of people our age who grew up with these books and were scared shitless by them and loved them. Yeah. So why wouldn't you try to service that audience yeah, a, a little that, bit more? And I think they did. I think they just kind of failed, I think is what it yeah. is. I, I, it's for kids, but it's also not. I think that's the weirdest thing is that because, yeah, the aud- target audience has to be people our age. Sh- sh- you would think. I mean, I think it should have been. Yeah, but I think maybe they thought the idea was they wanted to make it 
good for kids because they wanted people our age to be like, oh my god, I'm gonna take my kids to this movie. I uh, these movies scared me so much as a kid. Or I when see, I was, I never, I never think of that because we don't have kids. Right. I'm just saying that maybe <laughs> that was their thought. Like, yeah, is, maybe because family movies can make a ton of money. Movies that parents take their kids to make tons of money. They're always like know. the highest grossing movies because families going to movies makes way more money than. A couple 30-year-olds going to, like, <laughs> childless 30-year-olds going to movies. And so I'm sure that was part of the equation when they were figuring out, like, what rating to make this movie and how to write it and all that sort of stuff. I'm sure that was involved, like, the studio was, like, trying to figure out how to do it. And it's produced by CBS Studios, mm. so it's that's a network, oh, which I didn't even know they made movies. It's a whole other topic, but... Yeah, so I'm sure that's what was going on. But speaking of the time period, the other thing that was wild to me about the time period, I continuously forgot this was 1968. I don't know if you had this experience. I, so many times, I think because of the clothes they were wearing. The clothes were not, yeah. Were so generic. They're so generic. That they, there were literally, so I remember, the movie set in 1968. I forgot for like the whole movie. And then we get to the part where they go to the old lady's house. And then they're they're she's watching the uh, Richard Nixon give a speech. Yeah. And I legitimately had this thought in my head. I'm like, oh, is this an old crazy lady who watches like old news who watches like old newsreels? Like be, like uh-huh. she's like old and senile and she just likes watching like yeah. old news and stuff. And she has like pictures of JFK, black and white pictures of JFK on Maybe the wall. She because, like has dementia. And yeah. Her family just rolls with yeah, it. That's literally what I thought. And then I remembered. Oh, no, it is 1968. Yeah. I literally forgot for most of the movie that it was yeah. supposed to be 1968. I, and I, I I don't know. And I wonder if that was something where they were trying to, like, appeal. Make it timeless. Like, well, maybe make it timeless, but maybe they were trying to appeal to both of those demographics yeah. at once. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, we'll set this in the 60s to get that, like... 30 something audience that like loved the Goonies and yeah. they love Stranger Things and they love the It remake. See, that's not 30 something, so that's. But you, hang you on, need no, boom. Sorry. hang on. Sorry. But we also want to get this audience of kids that that doesn't really mean anything to, right? Yeah. Um. So instead of like putting the effort in to make it look like it was 1968, they just every now and then have a radio broadcast that yeah. reminds us it's 1968 by yeah. talking about Nixon and the Vietnam War. Well, well, yeah, but my point was that it's 30-somethings don't give a shit about 1968. That's boomers that like are nostalgic for the 1960s. Like, no. I know, I'm, I'm just, just saying, saying. I know, I just think that's a weird thing to be like, like, because like the Goonies and, and Stranger Things, the 80s, like that's the... Man, I'm trying to figure this out as much no, as I you know. are. I understand. I'm just, yeah, I, I just thought it was strange. And Maybe like all, they're like looping back on their, uh, the 30 year, what's it called? Yeah. The 30 year rule. The 30 year rule or whatever the heck it's called, where like the stuff, like we were nostalgic about the 60s and the 80s. Yeah. And, like, we had all of the media that was set in the 60s, so instead of setting this in the 80s, they set it in the 60s so we could feel nostalgic for the media in the 80s that was set in the 60s. I don't know. It's possible. I think they were just, they. I think it's a combination of things, like you said. It's it's one, it's just general nostalgia, like, uh, old, old ye olde times, fun, different yeah. thing. Two, no Google and, and 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 I think that's the main thing. And three, like nostalgic for uh, Stand by Me and those kind of yeah that kind of thing. Um, but 
I mean, like, I don't think there's anything incredibly inaccurate in the time period. Like, all the cars are 60s cars, all the stuff. Yeah. It's just something about watching it. I would routinely forget it was the 1960s. And maybe that was the point. Like, maybe they were going for, like, a timeless, like, yeah, it's maybe. the 60s, but, like, we're all, like, even back then, kids were just like they are now. You know what I mean? Like, maybe that's kind of the, like, you, you'll forget it's the 60s because it's, stories are timeless or something like I don't know it's just yeah I, I literally forgot it was the 60s so many times can we talk a little bit about the uh the African-American like witch doctor lady yeah <laughs> or whatever um so they come while they're looking at the microfiche yeah uh they come across a thing that says like that the Bellows family blamed the the servants that yeah. they had for teaching Sarah Bellows black magic, which is not true um, in the larger narrative of the story. But I thought that was interesting because it's very like Salem witch trials. Yeah. Um, which is something that can also arguably reference the sixties with like the red scare yeah. and all that. But again, it's like another thematic thing that they did just don't do anything with. Nope. Not at all. I mean, we get the little moment at the end where she helps Sarah hide under the table. Yeah. And then doesn't rat her out to her parents. But they find her anyway, so it yeah. doesn't matter. I, but, like, I yeah. mean, how long was she going to be able to stay under the table? True. But. Yeah. Yeah, they don't really do anything with it. Um, and she's in a terrible old age makeup. That's, yeah. It's like, and, and I thought we were going to get a flashback to her. I was like, why would they get somebody who's clearly, like, in her 40s or 30s? or whatever, to play an 85 or 90-year-old mm-hmm. woman and put her in just... And like, the worst old age makeup. It's it's just, She doesn't look 85 or no. 90. She just looks like a middle-aged, like a 40 or 50-year-old woman in mediocre to bad <laughs> old age makeup. It was very strange. I was like, all right. Yeah, because they don't show her as, like, a younger person. No. So... Yeah, and that's what I was wondering. I was like, well, obviously we're going to see her younger if they're going to yeah. get a younger actress to play. But we see no. her as a kid, but, like... We don't, but, yeah. yeah. So why not just hire... Why not just hire a 95-year-old woman? Yeah. Who knows? <sighs> oh, so Interesting weird. choices being made all over the place. Yeah, it was very strange. Okay, um, how many more notes do you have? I only ha- I have uh, a few. One, I do. I have some quick hits here. Uh, oh look, the, she put the book back. That's a pretty solid decision for a character in a horror movie that they usually don't make. It, it ends does, up not yeah. helping or mattering. Yeah. Um, but I thought that was interesting. Um, another another one. Uh, I don't think did they actually lock up sixteen year old white girls in jail cells overnight in nineteen sixty eight? I find that hard to believe. I find that incredibly hard to believe. Certainly, probably not right next to the young Mexican boy. Yeah. So yeah, I was like, I don't buy this at all, movie. But sure, (laughs) Uh, okay. Um, This line, it's in all the trailers, and it's a good line in theory, but in practice in the film, terrible line. So and 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 it, and it belies how how little they thought thematically about the story. Okay, so the and it's what drives me crazy. So the line is at one point, um, uh, Stella with the book. She says, and it's like I said, it's in all the trailers. You don't read the book; the book reads you. Cool line. Cool line. Like fine. Like good fun spooky yeah. horror movie line. But it doesn't make any sense in the movie because the book doesn't reflect anything within the characters. That's the, yeah, that's that thematic problem. Like, like, again, had 
the characters been dying in or disappearing in ways relevant to them as characters. That line makes yeah. perfect sense. Great line. Great line. But since that doesn't happen, it's a stupid line. <laughs> like it doesn't mean anything. It was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So the All book right. reads you. What is that? No, it doesn't. It just the book kills you. <laughs> you don't read the book. The book kills you. It doesn't really. The okay, book just I mean, straight up murders your ass. Yeah, I mean that's accurate. It's not a cool line anymore. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I was really frustrated by that because when you see that line in the trailer, you're like, "Nice, good line, writers." And then you see the movie, and you're like, "What idiot came up with that line?" <laughs> uh, okay, great. <laughs> I just have one more thing that I want to mention yeah. before we talk about the. I wanted to talk about the end. Yeah, the okay. end. Um, okay, so when they figure out that uh, Ruth is the next one, that something's going to happen Ruth to. Ruth is the, the sister, the, the one who gets spiders. one with the spiders. Yeah. Um, so they're running through the school, and they're checking the bathrooms, and I assume they knew she'd be in a bathroom because of the story, I guess. Yeah, but I'm sure it's so, from the story. I don't know if you noticed this or not. We might need to go back and watch this. So they run into a bathroom and there's a group of like three or four girls in there. And the reaction that they have when all the kids run into the bathroom is like they were doing something in there that they weren't supposed to be doing. I did not notice this at all. And I was like, what are they supposed to be doing in here? Like, maybe they're supposed to be, like, smoking in the smoking? bathroom? Yeah. I didn't notice any, like, cigarettes or smoke or anything. I didn't notice this but at all. I was all, like, so. what? we're going to have to go back and watch that because I need to know what the hell was supposed to be happening in that bathroom. And maybe I, like, overread it. But, like, to me, the reaction that they these, like, unnamed characters have when all the kids burst into the bathroom was like, oh, shit, hide whatever it is we were doing. Huh. I don't know. I missed that completely. Okay. So I have no idea what you're talking about. But I'll t- <laughs> we'll go back and look at it. But, yeah. All right. Let's talk about the ending. We talked about it a little bit, but I really, really want to talk about this ending. So I was really mixed feelings on the ending of this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's a kernel... Of a good idea slash message at the mm-hmm. end of this film. So basically it comes down to the, it's kind of complicated and hard to explain. But uh, Ramon is being chased by the devil, by the uh, the jangly man. Uh, and uh, um, Stella has transported back in time, basically, or yeah. whatever, into an alternate reality with um, the Sarah, like with the family in yeah. their mansion. They're both in the mansion, but, uh, but Ramon's like, Ramon in like is, modern time in the he's rundown in mansion. He's in 1968 and she's in, in 1898 like, yeah. or whatever. And she um, confronts, she gets confronted by uh, Sarah uh, Bellows, who is mm-hmm. the one who's who like, writes these stories with her blood and by doing so sends these creatures after people, these monsters after yeah. people. Um And uh, Ramon says to himself as he's being uh, almost grabbed by the monster, tell her the truth. Um, And and Stella says to Sarah, um, you have to stop doing this. You have to stop hurting people. Um, It it sucks what happened to you. 
uh, that your family did what they did to you because at this point they've kind of sussed out the mystery of the, yeah. what happened uh, with 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 uh, Sarah and that her family abused her and uh, basically scapegoated her for these kids dying, even though she wasn't responsible um, and, and abused her and mistreated her and blah, blah, blah. And she goes, you got to stop doing this. Um, uh, what they did was on them. But what you're doing now is on you. And this is your choice and blah, blah, blah. Um, and. I think there's a, a good message buried in this ending. Mm-hmm. And this, again, is at least thematically interesting um, where where Stella confronts her. And, and, and I think what they're going for is this message of not letting abuse define you, mm-hmm. not directing your rage at the wrong targets, mm-hmm. um, uh, all that sort of stuff feels like what they're going for but i feel like the execution of it feels a bit clumsy and off the mark uh, yeah, and a little, a little bit victim blamey yeah almost yeah where it, not it's not victim blamey because I, I i get what like it's 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 mixed because it's what makes it mixed because i could tell the movie was like the point is don't let your abuse define you Mm-hmm. learn from it, grow from it, uh, direct your rage at the right people, blah, 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 because she does start hurting innocent people yeah. as a result of this. But also, it feels a little weird for Sarah. The way that uh, Stella says to her, like, what you do now is on you, and, like, and like puts it on her, like, it feels a little, like, <sighs> dismissive of mm-hmm. Sarah's t- abuse, almost, like, I don't know. I because like again, it's it's what makes it complicated for me is that she's right, but also like doesn't mean she's not an asshole for like saying it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I I just had a really hard time with how the movie executed what it was trying to say there. It made me feel a little gross while overall agreeing with the point. If that makes any sense, it's it's like a. It's that um, meme where it's the screen cap from The Simpsons. They're just like, she's right, but she shouldn't say it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's not that she shouldn't say it. Maybe the better way to do it is if 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 Stella had also been a victim mm-hmm. of abuse or something so that it was one victim to another. Whereas yeah, maybe I, that I, would make I it think, feel better. Maybe. I don't know. I think that they... I think for me, what makes this kind of shaky was that Stella's story was underdeveloped. Yeah. Um. We so we have this idea of like, oh, her mom left and she feels responsible. Um. And they a couple times they they tease at the idea that like, um, everybody gave her a hard time about it when she was a kid and like, um, like all the other kids like told her it was her fault. But overall, that element of her character is kind of underdeveloped. Yeah. We don't really get, like, a very good idea of exactly what happened. Yeah. And I think maybe if we had, maybe if there had been, like, flashbacks or maybe yeah. if we had seen more of, like, Tommy tormenting her. Yeah, because there's, like, one line where he says something and yeah. she gets really upset about it. Yeah. And that's kind of, like, the biggest moment of that yeah. setup for and then later when she like is on the phone with her dad like yeah. in tears yeah. she talks about it a little bit right. but i think if that aspect of it had been better developed um maybe this ending would have felt a little less shaky yeah yeah it just yeah I, it's hard to describe it's just to me i i'm always really sensitive to 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 people telling 
victims how to act. Mm-hmm. And now again, she's not wrong in the sense that that Sarah is is literally murder, basically murdering innocent people right. as a result of this, and that's not a good thing. Um, and 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 it, and it does ultimately come to a good place, and I think the point they were trying to get across feels right. Uh, it feels like the a good point to get across again. Like I, just to reiterate, I'm not letting abuse define you. Not directing that mm-hmm. rage at the wrong targets. All that sort of stuff. All feels like a good message. I just felt like maybe if it had been delivered in a different way, slightly different way, or yeah. maybe again if they had shared. I I don't want to say that she had to have been abused to like it. Just it just felt a little strange to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just something about it. I felt a little off and I was like, eh, I don't know. It just doesn't quite yeah, work. Yeah, maybe instead of telling her like what you do is on you. Yeah, that I was like, what made it really. Yeah, I, have I, her say something about like, don't become like them. That's. Or how encourage yes, her to like. you're a better writer than me, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we, or we like go like full Daenerys Stormborn and tell her to break the wheel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. That's what it needed to be. Because I, I think, now that you mentioned it, it was that one particular line that, mm-hmm. that was sticking in me that was really bothering me of what you do now is on you or whatever. Yeah. And it was just like. Sure, but as somebody, again, as we've talked about numerous times, who doesn't believe in free will, who's a big, big proponent of moral luck, the fact, like, to, 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 to come to a victim of abuse and be like, this is... This is you. This is on you. It's like, I, but is it? Like, it's... I mean, sure. Like, maybe that's what that person needed to hear in that moment. I, like, whatever. It just... That particular line felt weird to me mm-hmm. and not right. Whereas if, if no, again, yeah, like we, you said... We approach it differently. Yeah. Because there is such a thing as cycle of abuse. Yeah. Somebody who is abused can and turn around and become an abuser. Um, but you, I think, yeah, we we would want to approach that differently yeah. and say it differently. Yeah. I think, like you said, it, you nailed it when you said if, if she comes to her and says, don't become like them. Don't. Yeah. Don't give into this. Don't. That sort of thing feels yeah, very different than. Break the cycle. Yes. That feels very different than this is on you. You're being shitty. Like those feel like different um, moral judgments on that character that I feel more comfortable with the first, (laughs) the latter form, whatever. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Anyways, um, I only have like one more note before we get to it. Uh, There was a fun subversion of a trope in a trope laden movie. (laughs) There was one subversion of a trope that I don't know if I'd ever seen anything. I'm sure it's been in stuff, but I thought it was kind of fun. Is when uh, Ramon and her are reunited in mm-hmm. the house after they conquer the the bad guys. Um, he has her glasses because they get knocked off in her flashback, and they end or in the olden times, and he finds them under the table yeah. in modern times. So he has her glasses, and they embrace, and he stops, and he puts her glasses on, and then they hug again. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a fun subversion of the like taking the glasses off and now she's a pretty girl trope. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, it's kind of clever. Like, he puts the glasses back on and then, like, hugs her. Like, oh, I like that. That's fun. And then Shimron gets shipped off to Vietnam and that's, that's... We talked about, like, what's the message there? <laughs> I could not tell you. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it'll be addressed in the sequel. <laughs> Maybe. All right. Let's do it. Final verdict. No. <laughs> Are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterwards. I'm going to give it to the book this time. 
Um, now, while I certainly understand why the movie went with a frame story to try and like thread a few of these folklore pieces together, I did have a couple issues with that frame story, uh, namely that it wasn't particularly unique or interesting. Um, and there were a few points where I felt that the audience was expected to indulge the story um, when those indulgences maybe hadn't been earned. Um, and I'm going to go back to the pot of stew example. It just appears in the fridge. And to me, it happens so early in the movie. And I felt like we weren't yet familiar enough with the premise or how this story was going to quote unquote work that it kind of took me out of the story entirely. Um, and also, if I may, I did not think that this was that scary. Um, now, when we talked about like intended audience, and maybe I would feel differently about this if I was younger, or if I didn't have very vivid memories of being absolutely scared shitless by the books. Uh, but like, while there were scary moments, I didn't find this movie particularly scary overall. Uh, the scene in the red room with Chuck and the pale lady, I think, should have and could have been terrifying. But somehow, to me, it ended up very laughable. Um, and the big thing for me um, is part of the reason that the books work so well um, isn't that the stories themselves are super duper terrifying. Uh, they're not, really. Um, they work well and they scarred an entire generation because they rely very heavily on the reader's imagination running away with itself. Um, so they show you a horrific illustration, um, which, by the way, side note, if you're going to read these books, Read the original editions with the illustrations by Stephen Stephen Gamel. Gamel, yeah. yeah, yeah, Stephen Gamel. Um, they did reprints pretty recently with illustrations by uh, Brett Helquist, um, who did the illustrations for a series of unfortunate events. Mm. He's great, but his illustrations are not particularly scary. Oh no! You want the original editions? Trust me on this. Yeah, no. The stories are the the illustrations are what make this. Yeah. Anyway, um, so the books give you a horrific illustration. They give you a nugget of a story, and those stories don't always have set-in-stone endings. Uh, the Red Room, for example, the dream, um, that ends with the pale lady smiling, um, and it's a girl in the book, so it ends with uh, the girl like trying to get out of the room, and that's where it stops. Um, so then as the reader, you get to fill in the gaps. And in the movie, the pale lady like <laughs> hugs him to death. Yeah. Um, and it does not matter what your mind came up with when you read the story. It was scarier than being hugged to death. <laughs> All right. Uh, the books, uh, the collections of short stories in this case were better. Before we get to what our next episode is going to be about. If you could do us a favor, rate and review us on iTunes or anywhere else you can download and rate our podcast. That would be fantastic. Uh, you could do us a big favor by sharing us around on social media uh, if you have a subreddit that you frequent, that you like, that you think would be good to share our podcast on, do that. That's immensely helpful. Uh, also, you can do us another big favor by following, following us on all the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, the subreddit. On Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for sure, Katie will be posting the side-by-side -side comparisons of the illustrations from the book. 
with the still frames from the movie of the the creatures, the monsters, so you'll get to actually get a direct comparison if you don't have a copy of the book anymore or can't find one. Uh, so yeah, look out for that. Follow us, like I said, on all those social media platforms. We also do all kinds of other stuff. You can comment uh, our, our prequel episodes. We read your comments about what you preferred, so you can comment and interact, and we'll respond and talk to you about uh, the differences and what you liked and what we liked and that sort of thing. So check us out. And Katie, what's next? Um, I'm actually going to hold off on announcing a next episode this time. Um, there's something that I want to do, uh, but it's a little less like well known. So I need to make sure that we're going to be able to get a hold of both the book and the movie in time to actually do what a, what a cliffhanger. I know what a cliffhanger. Well, there's another good reason to follow us on social media because yes. guess what? When we find out, we will post that stuff on social media. When this, I figure it out, it will be announced on our social media. There you go. So there's just another reason to follow us on all that. Also, one more thing. Uh, we were recently on uh, a patron-only episode of Philosophers in Space. I think you have to support for $10 a month, which is it's a it's a significant contribution. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I think it's I'm a $10 patron. I think it's well worth the money. Um, but what we talked about anyways on that particular episode is we for like an hour and 45 minutes, we talked about the Nick Cage film Next, which was a wild ride, which is a wild ride. If you're a fan of Good, Bad or Bad, Bad, it was basically that. Uh, in podcast form uh, with me and Katie and uh, Aaron Rabinowitz of the Philosophers in Space podcast. Um, and we we broke down that movie scene by scene and all the nonsense that was Nick Cage in that film and the story and every everything about it. So if you want to hear us make fun of a, a Nick Cage film for an hour and a half, go check out Philosophers in Space. Uh, support them on Patreon for 10 bucks a month and you can get access to that and all of their really, really, really good podcasts. If you like philosophy, if you like sci-fi, I cannot recommend that podcast enough. Uh, we were also on a main episode a while ago, uh, which I think we promoted. So That's it. That's all we got. So until next time, guys, gals, non-binary, and everybody else, keep reading books, keep watching movies, keep being spooky, and, and keep, keep being, being awesome. awesome.